Episode 30 Bert flipped a card, a Bush League mistake he had not made in over two decades. Humiliation rose in his throat, but he crushed it with his molars. Miss Steele, he said, and collected the cards. The players knew better than to say a word, though one of them, the big one, smirked. Bert was the smoothest dealer on the floor. Everyone knew it. For as long as he could remember, they'd called him the robot because of his precision. Also for his demeanor. He was formal in his work. He didn't get all friendly with the players like the other dealers, as he didn't see the point. It wouldn't change the way the cards fell. But though they remained silent, the three people at his table, as well as the guys behind the eye in the sky, now had evidence against him. Word would get around. The younger dealers would mock him for a mistake that they themselves made constantly without the slightest compunction. "'What's the matter, Bert? Got the yips?' they would say. "'There was gunk on the table,' was his planned reply. "'You may have noticed the hygiene of our clientele has deteriorated over the years. We are no longer attracting the caliber of people as we did. In my opinion, the Tahitian is going down the toilet.' In fact, the misdeal wasn't his fault, but he couldn't risk explaining the real reason, because the pit boss was looking to elbow him out. He wanted to bring in another one of his young cousins, and Bert's relatively ancient ass was in that cousin's way. If the other dealers found out, they would say Bert had gone senile, or that all the booze had finally caught up to him, though it was his wife who drank like a fish, not him. Or they would remember all those times that Bert, like an idiot, had talked about failing the eye test, the only thing that had kept him from combat in World War II. His eyes, they would say, were giving out for good. A half-blind dealer presented an obvious liability. But the truth was, just for a second, Bert was certain that he had seen his son. As if almost twenty years had not passed, and the kid still worked there at the Tahitian, if you could call what he did work, standing there with his tub of dirty dishes, staring across the casino floor at his father. Bert had gotten him a busboy job at Smuggler's Cove, the Tahitian's fanciest restaurant. He had pulled some pretty big strings, which he really had not been in a position to pull. He had thought Kyle would finally stop dreaming and get his life moving, once he had a path laid out right in front of him. Over time, Bert dreamed, Kyle would move up to waiter, then Mater D. He'd wear a suit, usher the high rollers to the VIP table. Who knew? Kyle could even run the hotel one day. He wasn't really so stupid. But, given a foot in the door, what had the kid done? Stood there day after day like an ape in a tricorn hat, gaping at Bert. Like he couldn't believe this was his father, a heterosexual man in a purple shirt with a parrot embroidered on the pocket under his name tag. The name tag that assured people they need never call him Mr. or Sir as long as he lived. Just Bert will do fine, thank you, sir. During the big war, when he'd worked as a file clerk in the basement of the Air Force Training Center, he'd also worn a name tag and called everybody Sir. There, they had called him the Troll. At least Kyle had not been one of those hippie college kids protesting instead of going to the classes their fathers had worked their butts off to pay for. But in his own way, Kyle had thrown, and still threw, his privilege in his dad's face. It never occurred to him that others had to fight for things, or that others' lives had not turned out the way they'd hoped. Instead, Kyle dreamed. To this day, he dreamed. A boy lay on the pavement with his face turned away. His left arm lay under him. The feet were oddly positioned, like blocks of wood. That was how you knew the kid was dead, from the feet. Also a girl, a hippie, knelt beside the boy, waving her arms to the heavens, making a show out of it. She was a runaway who didn't even know him. That was what Life magazine had said anyway, in the article that went with the picture. Almost twenty years ago now, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, how time flew. The arm tucked under, and the feet, so strange, so uncomfortable to lie that way on a street. Bert had heard that the boy did not bathe as a matter of hippie principle. 
His body had stunk up the ambulance, so they had to open the doors when they drove him to the morgue. But how could they drive with the doors flapping open like that? Some exaggeration had occurred in that story, no question. Bert could never forget the way the other people in the photo just moseyed along in the background. Strolling, chatting, no urgency, typical day on campus, a guy lying there with his arm tucked under, and a girl, who didn't know him, screaming. For months he stared at the photo, day after day, in the break room. His obsession embarrassed him, so he hid the magazine inside road and track. He sweated and ached as he stared, as if at pornography, and after he returned to the floor he thought of the picture and how many minutes it would be until he could see it again. A part of him gloated about the boy's death, while another tried to figure out how to breathe life back into him through a magazine page. As the image smoldered at the edges of his mind, month after month, Bert tightened the clamps of his self-control. He spoke only in single words or mere gestures if he could get away with them. He joined his wife in a glass or two of whiskey before dinner, shielding himself from conversation with his trusty copy of The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. He learned to tune out the TV, the newspaper, Marion's laments on affairs both foreign and domestic. Nothing provoked him. No one, least of all Kyle, knew what his mind contained. His mind was a fire. In the autumn, through an exercise of will that would have astonished his juniors but was no big deal for men of his generation, Bert had personally carried the magazine out of the break room and lobbed it into one of the massive dumpsters by the loading dock. The magazine fluttered down like a shot bird. After that, the fire in Bert's mind dwindled. He covered the mental image of the dead boy with the stars and stripes, waving in front of a blue sky. Once in a while, he still shook his head and muttered, Dumb kid. But if anyone witnessed that... They had to figure he was just thinking about Kyle. And then, one night, Kyle had appeared at his table, hunching his shoulders, waving peace signs, no, V signs. Hello, gamblers, it's me, Tricky Dick Nixon, in the flesh, back for you to kick around once again. All his life, Bert had been a tin can, sealed, compact, under pressure. Kyle's mockery of Nixon, his heedless joy in mocking the president, whom Bert admired and understood so deeply he sometimes felt they shared the same soul, punctured the seal. Bert had exploded at his son in front of everybody. That had been a mistake. He could have controlled himself. Still, everyone knew what happened to tin cans in the end. They were thrown in the garbage. Meanwhile, those who mocked their country and its leaders were beloved and remembered and wailed over by girls. He redealt, zinging the cards out of the shoe. One, two, three. His wrist was a precision-tuned delivery system, applying just enough force so the card glided to a halt one inch above the player's betting circle. Pushing seventy, Bert remained capable of the finest degree of motor control. Let the eye in the sky record that. The dark spot had moved to the other side of the casino, by the bar, where Kyle would have taken his break. Of course, neither Kyle nor the spot was really there at all. The spot existed solely in the corner of Bert's left eye. He stuck a finger under his glasses and rubbed at it. The spot stayed, clearly not his son, for his son had not stayed. The same night Bert had lost his control, Kyle had fallen ass over tea kettle for that crazy woman, Jackie, who promptly hauled him off to a hick town and destroyed him. Jackie wore Kyle down as dripping water wore down granite. She was cold. She was critical. She made no effort to make a home for Kyle, who was, after all, doing an important job as a cop. Even Marion kept a cleaner house. She covered the good chairs in plastic and vacuumed several times a day, not to mention she cooked Bert dinner every night, all while soused out of her gourd whereas on Jackie's watch dust bunnies escaped from under the couch and roamed freely. Later, after she became a religious nut, she'd had the nerve to tell Kyle he was headed for hell. In Bert's opinion, he was already there. He was a whipped man. No wonder he had shot himself. And yet the old Jackie was a cream puff compared to the one that had recently appeared on the cover of Forbes magazine. 
The break room now offered Forbes, as all the young dealers thought they were going to be rich some day. "'Molly's mom is Harry Ricker's right arm,' said the headline. Bossy, blonde, and absent for weeks on end, Jackie was a wife in name only. Why Kyle couldn't or wouldn't see that, Bert would never understand. "'How about hitting me there, Bert? You blind or something?' "'I'm sorry, sir. I will hit you.' "'Jesus, you're like in outer space.' "'What the hell was this black spot? Was he going to have to go to the doctor?' The doctor would find cancer, and then Bert would collapse like an old barn. Undiscovered cancers never hurt anybody, but once they were seen and given a name, watch out. The doctor would gouge his eye out and put it in a little jar. Hey, asshole, you gave me two cards. I asked for one. That's it. I'm getting the manager. The man snapped his fingers as if for a waiter. He was maybe thirty-five, dressed in a shiny shirt with cufflinks. He had one of those punk haircuts, spiked in front and shaved close to his ears, but down to his shoulders in the back. The guy was also sizable. Bert possessed a keen awareness of his own height, five feet seven inches, formerly five eight, but the years behind the table had taken that inch from him. Still, time had given him one compensation, his boundless reserve of rage. "'Here comes the boss,' said Mr. Shiny Shirt. "'Now your ass is grass, old man.' With the acuity of an international assassin, Bert focused his rage to a laser beam and hit Shiny in the sprig of hair right between his eyebrows. "'Get out.' Shiny's grin fell into a stunned frown. Well, I... Hold on a sec. Just let me talk to... Get. Out. Shiny raised his palms, glistening with sweat. He backed away, stumbled, and disappeared into the bright confusion. Approaching from the right, the pit boss felt the edge of the laser beam singeing his skin. He turned and left without a word. The game, as it had for over thirty years, went on.